my first tour of Afghanistan, probably my second tour of Afghanistan, it was just go out there, do a job, come back. And you had a, what they used to call post-operational tour leave. You would go through Cyprus, everyone would get, have beers, and then that, that'd be it. Hey, what's up? Welcome to another episode of Hey Mark, the podcast where I, Mark, get to have open and authentic conversations about topics like mental health and self-development. I'm hoping that this podcast brings you new perspectives, new ways of thinking, or at the very least, can entertain you. Let's jump straight into this conversation. What's going on? So I want to give this little preface before this conversation with Mr. Darker by saying that there was a little bit of, you know, connection issues and there was a couple times where I had lost them. So we had to reconnect and restart the conversation, but I did my very best to kind of make it seamless and edit it all together to make it a lot more fluid and easier to digest for you guys. So just keep that in mind while listening and thank you so much, but let's go on with today's show. Hey, what's up? Welcome to another episode of Hey Mark. And I am joined here today with Mr. Darker. I got to say first, Thank you so much for your time because there is a bit of a time difference. So we did have to line this up, but I got to say you have the coolest last name I've ever heard of. Chris Darker is like the most intimidating name ever, man. Um, before we jump into it and you kind of talk about the qualifications that you have to talk about these topics, why don't you just kind of give everybody like a, a little introduction about who you are, what you're all about, and uh, I guess, yeah, your history and then what you're up to now. Okay, so... Uh... You know, nice introduction. I'm Chris Darker. I'm currently serving uh, with the UK Armed Forces. Um, I've been with the Armed Forces for 16 years now, um, and I'm currently uh, teaching as an instructor at the uh, Royal School of Artillery, which is one of the um, sort of phase three establishments. So I'm last stage before people go out and deploy to wherever they, they're deploying to um, all over the world. Um, I am currently a Warrant Officer Class 2, which is a Sergeant Major. Uh, I know the Canadian Forces have a similar sort of setup to, to us. I know they have Warrant Officers there as well. Um, it, I've served with the Canadian Forces as well. I was uh, done um, an attachment in Kingston. Uh, where I was working at the Peace Support Training Centre there, it's doing a very similar job to what I'm doing now, which is uh, deploying people um, out on tour um, in various different roles. Uh, pretty much my sort of military history, the, the current sort of, in fact, not current, probably, if, if you're happy, we sort of jump back a little bit. I'll, I'll tell you my sort of... Um, my piece about the, the the mental health and um and sort of dealing with trauma that I've, that I've done whilst i've been in absolutely yeah cool uh so effectively when i first joined there wasn't really anything in the forces to to deal with you know traumatic events with ptsd with, with anything at all it was uh yeah, we're not talking that long ago. We're only talking sort of 2005, 2006, sort of my first period um, out in Afghanistan. I've done three tours of Afghanistan, a tour of Iraq and, and sort of some, some other deployments as well. But they were the sort of big four that I've done. Um, my first tour of Afghanistan, probably my second tour of Afghanistan, it was just go out there, do a job, come back. And you had a, 
what they used to call um, POL, so post-operational tour leave. Um, you would go through Cyprus, everyone would get have beers, and then that that'd be it. That was you. That was you done. Um, and in fact, probably when we used to get back into camp, you'd be gated for a a couple of days just to make sure you didn't go straight down the nightclub as soon as you're back from sort of Afghanistan. So a couple of days in, the padre, sort of the priest, uh, and a couple of people would come and talk to you and go, you know, don't do anything crazy. You're not allowed to drink, drive. You're not allowed to do this. Uh, you're back in the UK now. That's it. And and that was it. That was the only um, the only sort of thing that happened at all. Whereas now, and as the process went on, probably 2000 and eight 2009 they bought in something called uh the trim courses uh so trim courses were called basically traumatic uh or traumatic incident management so if somebody went through some sort of traumatic event there were people who were trained to signpost them effectively to different places so they could you know give people advice that we just didn't have before yeah, you, my first couple of tours were pretty ropey uh, in so much as, you know, firefights and explosions and dealing with, you know, death and, and trauma, you know, fighting enemy, but also, um, you know, dealing with injuries and, and fatalities of your own friends as well. But nothing really got done about it. So just having that, that trim practitioner there who could just you know, speak to you and, and tell you where you could go, what you could do. Um, worked for some people, uh, you know, I'm, um, I'm of the opinion that some people really need that and other people don't need that. And it, there could be thousands of different reasons for why they need it and why they don't. Um, but that was the first step of giving people that, that, that really needed, um, needed managing effectively. And then we've moved on loads and loads since that. And the UK forces now have a whole um, MRT package, which is mental resilience training package, which is getting better and better every year. Um, it started as a as a yearly brief, which has quickly become um, a, a huge uh, training package to make sure that people are, first off, more mentally resilient, but also it gives people the understanding of why things affect them in different ways. And I think that understanding the root cause of why things affect you is, is more helpful than the signposting once something has already happened, because it, it allows you to sort of rationalize things a little bit. Um, and yeah, that's, that's pretty much, you know, the, the, the journey of, of trauma or traumatic incident management and uh, mental resilience training um, over, well, in fact, that, that's, that's it. That's the two pieces uh, that have happened. We went from zero trim uh, mental resilience training, and that's sort of where we're at. And that, that was a 16-year period, you know, and, and that's, that's how, it, how it went. Yeah, it's crazy to think that. You know, because obviously these militaries have existed for years and years and years. And in the last decade and a half, they're like, fuck, you know, we got to start dealing with this. Yeah. It's pretty yeah, crazy. I, I mean, it's got, it's a lot better. Even even, even three or four years ago, it, it still wasn't great. And I, I've got, 
I've got friends uh, and and uh, really close friends actually who have been through traumatic events, who have been told by people in positions of power, like you know positions that I find myself in the lucky place to be in now. You know, I've, I'm I'm a sergeant major in the army. I've got people that work for me, and my friends have been you know into the equivalent of me saying you know I've, I've got an issue i've not dealt you know this happened on tour or, you know i'm going through this and they've been told you know fuck off and and man up which you know it's weird you go in with a broken arm and they're like oh yeah you need to go and take some time off you, you go in with something that people can't see and you know it, it's it's something like they don't believe it yeah yeah and it's like it's not like these are new problems at all right like especially like i'm pretty sure like coming uh, and then like in the uk after world war one when soldiers were coming back with what they used to call shell shock like wasn't there like huge like they were like almost oppressed like they were like pushed back like i think they were like put in jail or even worse like yeah yeah they could be yeah they could be uh they could be sectioned uh i don't know if if Canada has a similar similar thing, but you could be uh, you could be sectioned twenty eight days in a in a mental hospital, um, and that was it. You know, that that would tide them over until the next time they had they had sort of an incident or or repressed back to you know some of the traumatic events. I, I'm only talking from the last you know fifteen sixteen years, mm-hmm. but some of the events that must have happened in you know, big World War Two, World War One, you know, I'm sure Korea and places like that, they must have been horrendous. Yeah, you know, I couldn't imagine anything that bad. And yet they come back and they just had to assimilate straight back into society. Yeah. And as well, you know, with national service, it was like it, you wasn't a career soldier who done 10 years, 12 years, 22 years, whatever. You, you went away, you'd done your five years, that was you, that was you back home. Zero yeah. more. and and we're talking like conscription of young men at the time as well yeah it, it wasn't until you know my, my granddad joined you know when he was super young just because his other two old brothers joined so he lied on he lied to join during world war ii so that he could he could go out there because he didn't want to be the one that was left behind you know so you, you had and there's loads of cases about 14 15 year old boys going out uh, and fighting in the trenches yeah, I was going to say that as well. It's a different type of warfare as well. Like where they're like literally digging trenches for each other to go through and not get run over by tanks. I literally have zero military experience. I'm a carpenter, man. So like, I don't know much about it, but I'm going to say like, I definitely war has evolved, right? Like it's completely different warfare. Yeah, yeah, completely. But I suppose with that as well, weaponry has evolved to be even more fatal, you know, uh, and it's, it's way easier to, to kill people now uh, and from further away or by more violent means, uh, more precise, you know, long distance weapons have evolved. So it, it's quite weird how how it has evolved. Uh, and even just during my time, I, I saw Afghanistan uh, evolve over the course of, I mean, my first tour was in 2006. My last tour was 2014. So even that eight year period, it completely changed the way that first off the way we done business secondly the the way that people dealt with that business that was being done as well yeah i was talking to a, an american veteran um 
he's a young guy. He's 27 years old. So he's just a year older than me as well. But he was telling me about, you know, while he was in Afghanistan, they got these blimps that they surveillance the area with. And he's like, you can see the pores on people's face from yeah. miles away. And obviously, like, he's exaggerating a little bit, but it's like, man, that kind of stuff, that's crazy to think. Yeah, we we had something similar. Um, for, again, it just shows you, it shows the, the absolute change. We had, uh, we, we'd put a mast up and put a camera on it on my first tour, whereas by, you know, the last tours, we're, we're sending small UAVs out, um, you know, 10, 15K away that can pick up people in vehicles and, and people as they're coming out of buildings and identify them. It's, it's crazy. I, I know the uh, the blimps you're talking I think I lost you there, brother. Yeah, I don't know what happened. All good, all good. Sorry, I, you cut off when you were saying that you know the blimps I'm talking about. Oh, yes. So the, the blimps you're talking about, I think they were called PGSS, uh, so persis Persistent Ground Surveillance Systems um and yeah they one of my tasks in iraq was to go and search one that had broken its chainings uh, and sort of sailed away in the wind that's crazy man that's crazy back on um back on kind of like more of the topic of like mental health and you were kind of talking about this you've already alluded to it as well kind of the i was going to ask like um and I don't know really how to phrase this question, but I guess like, cause you know, I've played on different sports teams growing up. Like I, I grew up playing rugby and like every other Canadian, I grew up playing hockey as well. And so like, we definitely like when you're on a sports team, you form a brotherhood, right? Yeah. But like 99% of those conversations or relationships are very like surface level. There's very few times where you're like kind of sitting there talking about like, how are you? And having an answer that's honest instead of like just the, I'm good today, bro. How are you? Like, obviously, like being in the military, you form a pretty tight brotherhood as well. But does that stigma kind of end or like, do you have kind of a deeper connection that way? Um, no, you, you know, what? it's it's probably the same. Um, and it's probably one of, you know, looking back and even you just asked me the question. I just had to think when was the last time I just sat down and went, you know, you're right. Because it just that sort of stuff just does, doesn't come up. Yes, yeah. you know everyone. It's pretty macho. Everyone wants to know how many people they've matched on Tinder, or um, you, you know, it's, it's it's real macho talk. But actually, someone would probably really appreciate just someone asking how they are. I I recently sat down. Um, my brothers have served in the military as well. Uh, one of my brothers lives just down the road from me, where, where I live in, in the UK, and. A load of his old, uh, you know, ex-army buddies come round just for a few drinks a, a little while ago, and it was nice just to sit there. You know, take take the mick out of some of the stuff people used to get up to. Um, they're all veterans now; they're, they're all out, but it, it slipped straight back into being in the military sort of ten years ago. It's like you get never left kind of thing. Yeah, for for them. I mean, you yeah, know, for I'm them, yeah. In. But yeah, for them, it probably felt, you know, exactly, exactly the same. And now they're doing all sorts of stuff and living in different countries and, you know, but it's, it's kind of weird because soldiers are almost childlike, you know, it's, it's real child we find stupid things funny and even like real dangerous stuff out, out in Afghanistan, Iraq, but you know, I've been in firefights where people are laughing their heads off because I mean, it must be the nerves. I think that nerves just get to people and 
and you know the you know fits of the giggles and stuff like that it's just i don't know it's just really weird it's a weird uh, group of people to to be dealing with yeah and you and you talk about like the maybe i'm like kind of not understanding 100 like with the trim and and the other like kind of support that you guys have like in terms of mental health like you're kind of it 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 sounds like a lot of it's like kind of like post tour like you come back and it's kind of like hey like did you go through anything like this and then if you're honest about it or they can tell something's up then you like kind of go through that but are you prepped beforehand like kind of going out like so so the way they do it now with is the, that what the resilience training is yeah that yes yeah. so the, the mrt package the mental resilience training package that now i i feel again it's personal opinion i guess that some people don't like it they think it's a hindrance because a lot of people again macho as hell and, and they don't think it they can be affected but you know i think it's good it's a good thing let me let me know how things can affect me let me know that you know they're that there are avenues I can go if I decide I, I need some help. I'd rather know where I can go, you know, to, to get that help prior mm -hmm. to me being in a situation where I, where I actually need it. Yeah. And I feel like there's this fine line and maybe you have a, a better opinion or perspective on this, but I feel like there's like a fine line, like there definitely because people are like, well, you know, these people have to kind of be quote unquote, like maybe softened up a little bit or prepared for this kind of stuff. But then it's also like, you kind of want your military to be you know, somewhat hard because, you know, when you're going out to war and again, this is something that this is the trigger warning. If, if, if there is one that needs to be said, but like, you know, and you know, this much better than I do, but you know, we're talking like child soldiers in war and, and there's a lot of things you have to deal with that you know, a regular civilian like myself, like we would never imagine would be like something that you'd have to mentally deal with. And it's like, well, you kind of want your soldiers to kind of be able to deal with those things and, and act without hesitation to keep their, you know, comrades safe. But it's also like, once you come back and assimilate, you know, you there, there, there's this weird like disconnect of like, we need them to be hard when they're there, but then when they come back, we need them to assimilate properly. And it's like kind of a weird double standard yes it's it's odd i think people forget that the main job of a of soldier is to close with and kill your enemies exactly you know, you know that's that's the bottom line whether you do whether you do that as part of your role in the military or not that's that's the bottom line of what it is but yeah you're right it's, it's hard it, it's and, and that's not just you know out in theater as well you know you've got to go to work you've got to deal you got to be pretty macho to deal with, you know, 60, 60 other guys that work for you and then come home and be told what to do by your wife and your, your seven year old son, you know, it's uh, so you, you go through a daily process of having to switch it on and switch it off. Um, and I guess if you've got a good support network, good wife, you know, good, good family, husband, whatever, um, that probably makes it easier for you to switch that on and switch it off. But yeah, you're you're right. It's uh, it, it can be difficult. It can sometimes <clears throat> sometimes take a, a little while just to get back in the swing of things. Once you go, you know, you go away for six months out out to a theatre to then come back. You know, it, it can be difficult, uh, and even I've struggled with, with that. You know, but I'm, I'm in a lucky position that my wife will keep me in check. Yeah, that's it's like man, I could only imagine because like I know even sometimes like like I said, like I work in construction and there's a completely different way than when you talk at work, 
than when you talk with your yeah. family or your girlfriend, et cetera. Right. And it's like, sometimes I forget to turn it off. I come home and I'm swearing a lot more or I'm saying things I wouldn't normally say. And it's like, man, I could only imagine if you're immersed in it for months on end and then you have to come back. And it's like much, much more difficult. Do you think that there's like something that's, I guess, measurable or somehow to tell? Because like, there's definitely, like you said, like I've seen people that, you know, are veterans here in Canada and they handle it, like you said, seemingly a lot better. And then there's some people that come back just broken. Like, is there a different, like, is there a way to tell? Or do you think that there's some measurable way to predict that? Do you, do you know what? I think that I think every single person gets affected in some way. Uh, I, I think that that the 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 measurement or the yardstick is so hard to gauge. You know, I've got you know I've got people from the, exactly the same uh, sort of area I'm from with this, a similar upbringing to what what you know I had. We have a similar family situation. Who have been affected way differently from the same event as what I have. So I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if it's potentially people's ability to, you know, compartmentalize trauma, which, you know, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of evidence suggests that being able to do that it will, you know, will be a benefit to people in, in my sort of, uh, my sort of fields. But in any field where you're dealing with any sort of risk of trauma, you know, whether that be ambulance drivers, nurses, you know, you know, anyone, it, it, I don't think you can ever measure it because it's so personal and the way that it affects you is so different, even the exact same event. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, like personally, I've had conversations as well with like first responders here in Canada as well, where, you know, they explain some of the things that they've been called for and it's gruesome. And, you know, I couldn't imagine mentally having to deal with that because like, you know, you see some traumatic things happen to young, young babies and then you have a baby of your own and then you're maybe, you know, scared of something happening to them. I'm like, I used to, I used to volunteer like downtown Vancouver. And I remember there was this one conversation where one time I'm, I'm handing out like sandwiches and, and stuff to homeless people. And they're crossing the street all kind of like, like frantically and not, you know, not safely at all. And there's these cops that come by and they're telling me basically to fuck off. Right. And I'm like, come on, man, have a heart. Like I'm handing out food. And this cop looks at me dead in the eye and he says, you ever pulled a body out from a transit bus before? Because, and that's all he had to say. And I was like, holy shit, man. Like this guy's fucking seen and had to do shit that I couldn't even imagine. Yeah. Yeah, you hear, you know, you hear stories. I, I consider myself fairly lucky uh, in so much as I, I don't think I've ever been severely affected by anything I've, I've seen or done. But I know for a fact that people have seen the exact same things that I've been, I've seen and, you know, they're now still struggling to this day as veterans, you know, with, with those events. But it's, it's weird because... You, you mentioned a real good point there about, you know, potentially seeing a, you know, a, a dead baby and then having your own baby. But there was an incident that happened uh, where an IED went off uh, and people were bagging up body parts. 
and um you know there was some young some young civilians got injured in it and we were trying to sort of help them out um a couple of a couple of little girls got got fairly injured in that and speaking to you know someone really close to me that that affected him so severely because he like you know the kid was the was the same age as his daughter and I, th I think that he probably now really struggles, well, he does, he does, he really struggles with that link that he didn't even mean to happen. His brain just made the link um, and now it's in there uh, and that that link can never probably be broken. And it's just more a case of how does he now deal with it? Yeah, because it's like, it's a completely different like environment back in the UK than it is obviously in, in war yeah. zone, right? And it's like, it's probably not going to ever happen. You know, obviously we, we pray, but it's, it's like, yeah, once you see that or you make that connection mentally, it's like, you know, accidents happen here as well. Right. Like, I, I mean, the paramedic that I was, yeah. I was speaking yeah. to, I listened to a podcast where she got interviewed on. And um, again, it's not really my story to tell, but walking in and seeing a baby, like kind of drown in a bathtub, you know, it's like, these things happen here as well. Yeah, you're right. And there's a lot of different professions. Yeah, even your profession, you know, I've seen someone fall off a scaffolding, you know, and 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 die, or have an accident with a set of tools, or you know, there's also in a factory you can fall in a mincing machine. You know, there's so many different things that can happen, uh, and so many different avenues for a traumatic event to happen. Um, but yeah, you know. <laughs> it's that it's that your brain deals with it i think in in a certain way and until one happens you don't know how your brain's gonna gonna compartmentalize it yeah and have you heard stories like uh, like again like i don't really know your perspective on this but have you heard stories of like people that maybe have dealt with these things they're you know coming back they're experiencing trauma or post-traumatic stress disorder and you can tell like something's been snapped, like something's been broken. And you, I guess you did allude to this earlier, but like, do you think that there's a way to flip that switch back for those types of, those, uh, I guess, disorders like post-traumatic stress disorder? Yeah, I think so. I think a lot of it's education, um, you know, education of how to deal with it, which never used to happen, but does now. Um, a very good friend of mine is is really really open about his battle with PTSD that didn't start until he left the forces. Um, you know he had a he had a 22 year career in the forces, um, and then I think that it sort of staved off the issues that that were always going to happen, being around all the rest of the soldiers, and then the last part is just the zero help he got when he left. Um, and then was just expected to deal with it. He he was lucky enough, um, yeah. And he's open about this as, as well, so he won't mind me telling this story for other people. He um, he got to a stage where you know he went for a walk that he didn't plan on on coming back from, um, and luckily received a phone call. Um, received a phone call and got the help that he needed. He, he was lucky enough to get a residential spot um, with a charity that effectively used used different workshops and different methods to to coach him through how to how to deal with that that type of stress um, so yeah education's big but 
there's there's only a there's only a certain amount of spaces on those type of courses uh, those residential courses and unfortunately there's just there's not enough for everybody yeah that's it's it's crazy to think as well because like there's so many parallelisms between i guess the struggles mentally between somebody that's in the military and someone who's just a regular civilian as well mm -hmm. And I know for myself, like, especially speaking to some of the people that I've spoken to recently, I'm like, man, you know, I grew up with depression and anxiety and hearing some of these stories, I'm like, man, I feel like I have no reason to feel this way. You know what I mean? And you hear about all these other stories, but yeah. there, there's so much parallelism in the sense of like kind of the solution, even though that there's not parallelism in the, maybe the cause or, or the problem. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, the, the route, you know, the, the route is, is, you know, there's struggles along the route and how, you know, you, you deal with them, whether it be, you know, people getting depressed because of events or people getting anxious because of, you know, the way that they perceive something should be dealt with, but they don't deal with it like that. You know, it can, it can hit you a multitude of different ways. And actually, it doesn't matter what the event is. It doesn't matter who you are you know, people are going to go through, you know, regardless, all these different, uh, all these different doorways that, you know, are going to be a challenge to open and whether that whether that challenge is depression, anxiety, uh, agoraphobia, even, you know, there's so many different things that, that are going to be challenging for people. It's just, you know, the sort of PTSD ten, tends to be the the one that I sort of deal with a lot, but it tends to also be linked, you know, heavily with, you know, unfortunately depression, anxiety, drink abuse, but, you know, tends to be pretty high on there as well. Yeah. Substance abuse seems to be a pretty like common coping mechanism for a lot of these things. And, you know, there's always like, I don't know if you ever hear about like kind of like this sort of debate and it's not really even a debate, but I always think of like kind of depression and anxiety as symptoms of other things, not like the actual cause of things. Um, but I feel like that, that you kind of nailed on the head as well. Like kind of when you have PTSD, then that leads to depression and anxiety, because like I said, it, it, it can be kind of like symptomatic of other things as well. Um, I know like personally in my own life, especially with anxiety, like I kind of have been working a lot on it, like in regards to discipline, because I, I never really grew up as a disciplined kid. I was kind of like, you know, a small example, like when I was on sports teams, if the coach looked away, then I kind of fuck off and stop working hard. I'm, I'm, I was the type to just only work hard when I was being watched. Right. And yeah, yeah. do you think that like, because especially in the military, it's such a common theme, like us as civilians, we see the military as, you know, militant, as disciplined. Do you think that that discipline factor in the military kind of helps with dealing with these things? Or do you think that it's kind of, it, it's kind of indifferent? Um, I, I think that when I, when I first joined the, the military was more disciplined than, than what it is now. Um, but we've also got a completely different type of person joining now that, than what we had back then. Um, it, you know my my circumstances uh you know the way if you're happy for me to talk about sort of how i grew up a little bit absolutely yeah whatever you're down to talk about man so i'm from a sort of big uh a real big family uh i'm the oldest of of 11 kids um and 
yeah, we grew up poor as hell, you know, on a on a big council estate. Um, you know, my dad in and out of prison all the time. Uh, my mum sort of did, holding things down. Um, and, and you know, when he when he did get out, he offered nothing of value to to the family at all, apart from um, you know potentially bring bring a bit of money in or, or pretty much just t- toughen us up a little bit, you know, in in various different ways, whether that be looking back on it now probably a bit you know abusive and and you know family full of violence you know um i didn't do well at school it was never and none of my none of my siblings done well at school because it was just never um there was never any onus on doing well at school i was lucky enough to find um a an outlet for you know potentially a, a bad path that I was going down um, and that was the cadets at the time um, so I joined the cadets um, and used to go on a on a Tuesday and Thursday and I'd go, I'd go over to the cadets and do some bits there which kept me sort of on the straight and narrow a little bit the guy that run it I didn't realize at the time but as I've got older and, and learnt lessons as a, as a you know probably one of the best people I ever met during growing up definitely as a teenager was a guy called dave moth and he was the head of the secret unit that that i went to unfortunately passed away uh, a a little while ago but i I stay in touch with a lot of people there and he set people on a path of wanting better than where we grew up and a lot of them joined the military whether that be the navy the marines the army uh, and the ones that did all tended to sort of get get themselves out. And the way I'm sort of going off tangent a little bit, but the, but the way that sort of plays in now is a lot of people have already got issues already by the time, especially back in, you know, the early 2000s. They already had, they already had trauma and they already dealt with probably depression, although they didn't know what it was, already dealt with anxiety, worrying about, you know, when, the, when they're, you know, abusive uh, abusive parents going to come home, or you know, trying to look after your siblings uh, when really you shouldn't be at ten, eleven, twelve years old looking after them, um, having you know drug or alcohol abuse in the home. You're already dealing with trauma. You just don't know it. Um, and sometimes, and I know this is, I know this is true, that incident that happens five years later out in Afghanistan is just the the sort of final thing on the horse's back that just tips you over the edge and 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 i think that happens a lot more often than people think and and we just look at it as a as a singular event when it's not it's it's years worth of stuff that's happened i I, I like to you know i like to liken it to a to a bottle there's only so much stress that your bottle can hold uh, and it's really important to make sure you tip some of that stress out every now and again um in whatever sort of constructive way you like whether that be blowing off some steam whether it be going on holiday whether it be a trip away with your wife whether it be, you know whatever creating a bit of a gap in that in that bottle is really really important because you know that bottle will burst if you let it fill up too high yeah and i feel like and I know like I can kind of only speak to my experience, but I feel like there's so many times like in school, you know, you're taught basic mathematics, you're taught X, Y, and Z in, in public school where I grew up. 
but it's like we never really went over coping mechanisms we never really went over stress management we barely ever went over like financial management or anything really that we we, like would be applicable to like real life and that's kind of something that's put on to the parents and obviously that is something that you know i think maybe is a good thing to be learned in the home but there's so many times where especially like generations before ours where it's like you know our parents didn't if you were to ask my grandfather like my grandpa's from denmark my mom's from actually my mom's from the uk as well but if you were to ask either of them like you know what what's depression they're like like a time in the 20s you know like that's pretty much it right like either there's no real like they didn't even use that word before no no it's, it's crazy how times have changed um you know i, I suppose it the only depression that ever got talked about when I was a kid was postnatal depression. Cause you know, that was the only one that existed because, you know, my mom thought it was possible that, um, women can get depression after they have a baby for a little bit, you know, weird. So my mom left me at the hospital. I didn't learn this until I was an adult. And she said, you know, this is back in the day when you had to stay in hospital for like 10 days as a, as a new mom. And uh, my mom went home and my nan had to go back pick me up from the hospital as a ba- as like a 10 day old baby. Um, yeah, you know, but that's the only depression that ever got spoken about. And it was, a, it was like, a, it was time barred, you know, people back then were like, yeah, you, you might have postnatal depression, but you've got a couple of weeks, you know, and that's, and then that's it done. Well, in fact, you're right. They didn't even call it postnatal depression. They called it baby blooms. That's crazy, man. Yeah, they didn't even use that word before. Yeah, like yeah, that, yeah, yeah. Baby, the baby blues, they used to call it. Yeah, I think back to like, especially because my grandpa, he grew up, obviously, he spoke Danish and German. So um, I think that even if you were to ask that question to him, you know, did you ever deal with depression? He'd be like, what do you mean? The Nazis invaded yeah. our country. What the fuck are you talking about? Like, that, <laughs> like that's pretty much it. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's all like that. What could I be depressed about? I've got a house got two i've got two arms you know what can't be depressed impossible yeah like it's like we're free that's it yeah yeah it's crazy to think and do you think that again this is like kind of a question that it it almost seems like a no-brainer but do you think that um do you think that men because there's kind of like that stigma around like men's mental health like do you think that the women that serve in the military deal with the trauma differently or do you think that you know between the men and women you see difference between that um I, I don't so i spent some time when i was a when i was a staff sergeant i was i had my own troop uh, back then um yeah about 30 coming on 40 guys uh, well ladies and, and men that i that i sort of manage um during that time i had, I had three women working for me um and th- there was no real relation number wise um no, i didn't have a, a huge exposure to female soldiers but one of them that i did have exposure to suffered with mental health but you know two other people that i that i looked after men suffered from mental health um i had a soldier who who worked for me unfortunately he uh he took his own life at a christmas party um you know a few a few years ago at the same sort of same sort of time as this with absolutely uh absolutely zero warning zero you know there was there was nothing he just wasn't there you know one minute and 
people wondered where he was and unfortunately he'd gone back to his accommodation and uh and and taken his own life you know the young lady that that worked for me all the signs were there um that she was that she was suffering um you know lovely lovely young girl just the military was the wrong place was the wrong place for her she was dealing with issues prior to even joining and, and that all got compounded and exacerbated with the stress of service uh yeah luckily she she managed to get the help she needed and, and is no longer in the forces but hopefully she's doing well now now is there like kind of like a pre-screening before you join the military services there no no not nothing at all uh not not for mental health anyway i think i'm losing you again oh i thought i lost you i do have you still yeah yeah i'm still here no worries no worries but yeah you were saying there's there's no screening for mental health at all no 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 nothing um you know unless it's changed in the last couple of weeks there, there's nothing at all it's it's actually a pretty stressful process to go through for young people just to just to get in but yeah I, you know i think there should be mental screening exactly the same as the physical screening because we're losing more people um you know or lose as much through mental health as we are through physical health you know in a in a sort of bog standard regiment do you think that be, like because that's again that almost is like a fine line in and of itself because of the, because that almost i mean here in north america i don't know how it is over there like politically right now but like there's like a lot of people that are kind of uh, thinking that their rights are under threat and etc do you think that that would almost to like um if you were to say you know if you deal with x y and z you can't join the military or you can't be in this part of the military do you think that people would start screaming like this is kind of like medical discrimination and maybe we have to just yeah prep them a little bit more but they could still do the job like what's your kind of again there's no right or wrong answer for something like that but do you think that that would be the right thing to do or do you think you could prep someone i guess like better like if if you know that they're dealing with something like do you think it it's a possibility to prep them better. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I honestly don't know. I don't know if there could be a way to to prep them better. Um, I mean, you're right about the you know medical discrimination. If someone has been through something, I mean, where does it end? Do, do we do we say that you know a kid that's a kid that's dropped out of school and been in and out of foster care or through the child protection system? Do we do we exclude them from? you know a you know what what's the limit of it because you could be you you know you could be losing you know some some fantastic guys joining the service who deserve a break and deserve the chance of a decent career after not having a good chance in life um so yeah i don't know it's hard and i don't know what the i don't know what the goalposts would be for it but i think I don't know. I honestly don't don't know what that screening would look like. Uh, I'm hoping that there's people smarter than me that they'll be able to work that out to help us in the future. I like that answer, man. I like it when people are always like, "Yeah, I don't know." <laughs> I like it, man. Everyone seems to know everything nowadays. You're like, yeah. "Man, I don't know." Do you that like and and this whole conversation like almost like it, it kind of and I guess it's kind of my fault because I've been asking these kind of questions, but like it does seem kind of doom and gloom. But it sounds like like even yourself. Like this is a lot of this is an opportunity for people that maybe have come from a troubled past to kind of give them a value or a purpose in the universe. Like it's kind of like, hey, I can actually add value to the universe. Like I can start to obviously, no matter where you stand, like again, politically, because there's so much stigma around this type of conversation in the first place. 
it's like you're defending your country. Like you're, you know, creating the space where a lot of people in North America here, I'm sure it's kind of similar in the UK. They want to complain about, you know, how bad we have it and how our governments are oppressive. And I mean, in certain ways, there definitely are. But it's like we're very privileged here. And the only reason that we have that privilege and the freedom that we have to even have conversations like this is because there's men like you who have defended that right. Like it's like I feel like it's such a it's such an opportunity to if you come from kind of a troubled past to add value to yourself, to feel like you have a purpose. Yeah, to- totally agree. I've um well, I, I you know going back i joined the military first when when i was 16 uh you know because i had nothing else i dropped out i left school when i was 15 uh i bounced around um doing some sort of cash in hand jobs until i was old enough to get out of the house and i was literally you know i i turned 16 in in the august and in the september i was i was away you know on the on selection um but that didn't work out for me very well. Um, I, I was there trying to get through. I, I, I was getting injured and I didn't deal with it very well because I wasn't mature enough to deal with the injuries I, I took. I ended up being um, being discharged out. Um, and then I spent 18 months out um, living with my nan, um, you know, bouncing around, drinking and and basically adding adding zero value to to anything that I did, bouncing between jobs, bouncing between, you know, social circles and I was just a mess. Um a couple of people you know helped me during that time. I've got you know my my best friend is is uh, is my cousin as well, and you know he tried he tried everything he could to try and get me out of the rut that he could see that I was you know getting into, um, and it got real really really bad um, until I sort of just my my nan unfortunately passed away um, you know when when I was living with her and that sort of got me in check a little bit and I then moved down down uh, down south with another family member I went into the the army recruiting office and by this stage I'm 21 years old and uh, you know a few weeks later I was I was at selection joining the army and I've, I've never looked back because first off it got me back on the straight and narrow secondly um, you know I was good at it um, and it was the first time it's really the first time I'd ever been, you know, appreciated for being good at something, you know, and I'm in a, in a lucky position now that, you know, I, I flew up and got promoted fast uh, and, you know, people people really appreciated, you know, the, the, what I could bring to the table and it felt good. It felt really good to, to have people on a yearly report say, you know, this guy's disciplined, this guy... You know he's got good morals. He's you know, he's got integrity. He you know he does this. He does that. And it was so nice hearing it. I almost you know I thrived on it, and then I wanted to do better again. And it was almost like I was you know I wanted to please everyone because you know once once you hear something good, I, I, you know I work on I work on on praise. I, I like getting praise off people, and you know the military just ended up working out perfectly for me. Um, you know there's been hardships obviously uh, and I've dealt with a family life while I've, while I've been going through the military as well and you know lucky enough to meet my wife Sam who has been really good supporting me you know the whole time um but yeah the the, the whole thing 
really added value to my whole life and hopefully uh, you know I now do that as a manager of people I can give a little bit of that back to young guys coming through as well yeah and I was going to ask like do you think like because obviously this translates as well to just regular civilians people that just work like kind of what what they would consider just kind of be like office jobs or like myself I work in construction like the way that you climbed up, you said that when you came back the second time when you're 21, you climbed the ranks pretty quickly. Like mm-hmm. mentally, what do you think was the difference? Like, what do you think allowed you to kind of climb up that way? I, so I think it, it was the mix of it was a mix of two things. The first one being I was mature enough to deal with what was at hand. Um, the the second, in fact, let's say let's say three things. Um, so the the second one was the the promotion i got a really quick promotion to uh lance bombardier in the artillery that's you sort of one one run up and that gave me um it gave me like a bit of purpose and it allowed me to manage my own people you know not a lot of people but i felt really important and i felt like i owed the people that worked for me uh i owed them something because I was now responsible for people and that sort of linked into the third one which is um when i was a dance bomb deal, I, I met my wife and we really quickly um had our had our son my oldest son mason who's 13 now um the responsibility i think really really helped me and and i loved being a dad and a husband um like loved it and being responsible uh, and being a good parent was so important to me that climbing the ranks meant more money. More money meant I could provide a better lifestyle for, for everyone back home. Yeah, and so like when you came back into the military, and again, maybe this isn't something that you've thought of or maybe you have, but did you have the idea or the intention like this is going to be my career for life, I'm going to climb the ranks or were you just kind of coming back to it because you're you know, you're living with your grandma at the time. She unfortunately passes, like you said. Um, you're like kind of like at a spot where were you kind of like, I don't really know what else to do, or were you kind of deciding like this is what I'm going to do? Yeah, Jay. What well, I, I joined, I joined again because I had nothing else. I, you know, again, I was bouncing job to job to job. I couldn't hold one down. So short term, I, I just wanted something steady um that could give me some opportunities now that it's now the stage that i'm at long term you know it's it's a full career for me now uh, and I'll, I'll stay in for you know the 22 24 years and potentially uh, even even more than that because it's it's given me so many opportunities and provided such a good lifestyle for, for my family yeah, it just kind of goes to show like there's so many different management styles. Like I've got I've I've kind of had the opportunity to be a manager as well for a company that I used to work for. And again, I was kind of probably even too young to be in a management position at a time, even though it was just simply running a gym. But I know like there's so many different people, and you know, there's some people that obviously I'd I'd uh, have you know, you have to discipline people, and then you have to, like you say, you you kind of have like the carrot and the stick. And it just kind of alludes to the idea that like, once you got the carrot, you got your first promotion, like you start a a martial art and you might just be like, kind of like, oh, I want to do this for a bit. But then you get that first stripe on your belt and you're like, hey, this is something that I can actually improve at. And I'm being appreciated for it. Like, that's kind of what made you stick around. It sounds like. Yeah, you're right. 
and I almost turned it into my own stick, you know, because I was constantly chomping for the carrot, uh, you know, the, the gold pot at the end of the rainbow. I was, I was there, I was constant at it. Um, you know, I, I done my next promotion course only only a few weeks after my first one because, you know, I was just so ready to, to sort of progress. Uh, and like I said, I, I flew up flew up the ranks uh, pretty quick. Um, I got the... Um, the what what we used to call the gunnery careers course it was that was like if you joined the artillery that's what you wanted to get on because you know it's the top 10 percent of, of soldiers ever make it onto that a lot of people don't ever even remain eligible for it uh, and i had done that a few years ago um so i'm i'm a sub major instructor in gunnery um now at the royal school of artillery so you know i, I reached you know, as far as I'm concerned, I, I could leave now and I'd be pretty happy that I, I reached, you know, up towards the top. Yeah. And yeah, as well, like I was kind of thinking like, is there's so many different like kind of positions in the military. Like I know like that I've had, you know, friends of mine that they're young guys, you know, in their twenties, even like in their thirties and they've been in the military and they've done like yourself, like three, four tours. But then I've known other people as well. Like, again, I don't know if it's kind of like the timeline of, you know, when they were in the military, but I've had friends, grandparents that were in our, in, in the Canadian, the Royal Canadian Navy, and they never, you know, left Canadian soil and they were in their, the Navy for their entire lives. Like, is that kind of same thing happen over there in the UK? Um, I think while the, while the height of Afghanistan and Iraq was on, it was rare that somebody didn't at least do a couple of tours out there. Um, prior to me joining you 10 years before we had Kosovo and Bosnia, we had Northern Ireland, we had Cyprus, we had Iraq. So there's loads of tours going. So the chances of not going on tour are slim. Now the chances of going on tour are slim. Uh, and we're getting people, you know, promoted up to, you know, sergeants and coming into the mess, you know, with, with one medal or no medals at all on their chest. Uh, you know, they've done eight years, 10 years there just wasn't the opportunity to go on tour you know yeah like i know actually like i said my mom's my mom's from the uk she's from uh, england and uh my grandfather actually served for the uh the uk military as well he did a tour in africa in like mm. i think the 50s or 60s way back in the day but yeah. um yeah it's crazy to think that you know there's so many people that like you said that they have a career in the military they have tenure and they you know they haven't really gone on tours and i'm not trying to like badmouth them or say that that's dishonorable uh-huh. i'm just saying like it's it's crazy to think that there's people that could be in it for like five years and they've done four tours and there's some people that like i said i know a friend's grandfather who was like career in the military and he never left canadian soil unless he just went down to the states to do certain training yeah yeah, no, that, uh, I think that's going to become more relevant the way that the military is shaping up now where it's more small teams going out to places and doing a task and then coming back. And then like kind of contracted work. Sorry to interrupt you. Well, is that yeah, almost, almost, almost contracted. It's, it's more, um, I don't really know the word for it. it it's more, you know, specialist teams are going out to places for a very certain task and they're staying there just for that task and, and coming back. Whereas I just don't think there's the appetite to, to send the army somewhere. Yeah. You know, I suppose they're, 
parachute regiment are out in Afghanistan at the minute, securing the airfield um, out in Kabul. Um, but apart from that, you know, that, that's the last of the soldiers out in the Middle East now. And can I pick your brain about what's going on right now in Afghanistan? I can, I can answer what I can, yeah. I, I was going to ask you, because, like, again, we get different perspectives on our social media and our news, obviously, in, the, in North America here. And I, I'm we're just north of the border here in Vancouver. Like, I'm probably about, like, a, like an hour drive from the border here. Yeah. We're just north of it. And, like, there's so much in terms of, like, politics of, like, you know, they shouldn't have pulled out. They shouldn't have been there in the first place. They shouldn't have pulled out as rapidly as they did. Like, do you have an opinion on that at all? Um, I don't, it's hard because it, I don't think it would have mattered what we'd done. It would have been wrong. You know, it, you, we can't just stay there forever, you know, but, you know. You, yeah, you can't really just replace their government with yours, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly, and it's so. Yeah, it's Afghanistan specifically is so. Um, it's it's such an odd place because there are different tribes and there are different religions and there are different ethnic groups and all of these coming together. You know, in the UK and in Canada and America, we sort of we love diversity and you know we want we want you know opportunities for everyone and afghanistan doesn't want that it, it seems it just seems like it wants to go back to you know how things were before um maybe not the majority of people but you know yeah there, there's a difference between the people that live there and the government correct yeah correct i don't think it's not a problem that can be solved in, in 20 years that it's a you know it's a generational problem out in the middle east that it's going to take a lot more than you know my lifetime to, to sort out i think and again like kind of more importantly uh, i think i know i've spoken to some people and you know i like i said like i've spoken to a buddy of mine who grew up in the same city as me he's done a couple of tours out there as well and you know i messaged him the other day i reached out because i'm like look man like i know that there's so much shit going around social media but i just want to say like thank you to you because mm -hmm. like i think this is honorable i think you know regardless of how you know north america's looked at politically now in in like kind of the the world aspect i i'm proud of that like i'm kind of you know i'm happy to call you a friend i'm happy to say that i know you like etc but I know that there's so many people as well that are kind of like, what the fuck did I just do with my life? Like I put my life on the line for what, you know? Yeah. And I've seen both sides of that, both sides of that coin just in the last week or so, uh, you know, on one hand, you've got the people going, why were we even there? Why did, you know, why did my mate lose his legs? Why did, you know, this happen? Why did this happen? And then completely on the other side, I've got other guys going, uh, my my bag's packed. I'll go back out there right now if you want me to go. Yeah. Out, you know? <laughs> yeah. You know, other people are just you know, they're in it for the for the paycheck and and for the exciting times, and they don't care where they get sent. You know, um, I suppose being probably in the middle of that's probably the best situation. Um, but yeah, yeah. You know, there's people. There's both camps, both schools of thought. Um, I, it's almost like we knew it was going to happen and 
if you didn't know that it was going to go like this, then you, you probably, you know, you've had your eyes closed for a long time. Yeah, because I mean, like, it's definitely not the first time that, you know, a country like America has done something similar to that. You know, there's a lot of people that are comparing it to to uh, Vietnam, mm. but it's like, man, like what like what kind of advice? Because it seems like and I could be completely wrong with this, but it seems like you're kind of dealing with the situation pretty well. It sounds like you've got a good support network around you, but, you know, for someone that is kind of, you know, struggling, because this is kind of more the purpose of why I wanted to have this conversation as well is like if someone's out there right now and they're just beside themselves, like they feel completely isolated or alone and they feel like they've just wasted the last X amount of years of their lives, or like you said, like lost buddies or seen them injured, you know, for someone that feels like that was a waste, like what would you say to that person? No, that's, I suppose, I mean, it's really, it's really hard. Uh, and I've got people real close to me struggling with this right now. Um, all I'd, probably say is you know there's not just their normal support network you know there's other people out there you know my my doors always open to all of my friends and everyone that's ever been in the military they've got enough friends all over the country that their doors will always be open for them as well suffering in silence is not a good thing um so making other people aware that you are struggling with it rather than just keeping it in it goes back to my bottle analogy you know if if that stress is building up go somewhere do something see someone and let some of that out you know don't don't just keep bottling it up um it's happened you know we, we've pulled out it's seems to be a bit of a shit show at the minute but it's happening. There's nothing anybody can do about it apart from deal with the situation. So looking back, um, it's probably not ideal, but rather sort of looking forward and making sure if you have got any underlying issues, um, get, get them, get them started to be dealt with at least. Yeah. And I mean, again, there's parallelism between, again, not the cause of, but kind of the symptom of where, you know, when people are dealing with depression or anxiety or et cetera, whatever it could be, whatever mental illness, like there's always this weird feeling like we're alone, like we're isolated, like our situation's different than anyone else's and no one else could imagine it. Like, why do you think that, you know, especially because this is something that's at the forefront of a lot of people's conversations, like why is that still a thing? I think it's just still a stigma surrounding it. I think, people there's the pride issue and people don't want to ask for help i think there's the there's that crazy machoism that's still in absolutely inherent in a lot of professions that you know people just don't feel like they can actually ask for help or they can't go and look for help um you know the military's crazy for it um but that'll be in any any profession or any industry that is dominated heavily by by men i would imagine to be to be the same um it's 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 almost like it's frowned upon but I, I don't think it is frowned upon because places are run by the people that work there um a lot of my friends that work where i am if somebody asked for help they they would help them i, I think the problem is the personal thought of people people don't want to ask for help or they don't want to say something's wrong because they don't want other people to judge them or look at them as, you know, weaker than other people around them. When it's not the case, 
well, I hope it's not the case anyway. It's, it's not the way I would look at somebody and it's not the way that you know, the people close to me and around me would look at someone either. Yeah, I was going to say, it's so cool that you're kind of having this discussion because I've been told this, but I feel like you're kind of even more extreme exaggerated version. Like you're in the military. You're obviously like big into combat sports. I looked at your Instagram page. You've kind of got your own thing going as well around combat sports. I saw you shared something about like bare knuckle boxing today. I'm like, yeah, dude, yeah. this guy's legit. And then you're sitting here having a conversation with me for an hour about mental health and like kind of dealing with these issues. Like, I feel like it's so cool to have a guy like you, you know, in this space. Like, I feel like you are, when you talk about like, you know, there's so much machoism and so I call it like kind of cowboy mentality. Like, it's like, you you would be like the epitome of what most people would think of, of (laughs) who would be having that mentality, you know, that macho mentality where it's like, you know, you're into fighting. I don't know. Do you do you fight yourself or? Yeah, I, I boxed for I boxed for years and years, and I'm sort of heavy into mixed martial arts and sort of bare knuckle boxing boxing now. Um, but yeah, I boxed for a number of years, um, and I've also sort of trained in MMA, but I've never competed uh, in MMA as well. But yeah, I, I, I suppose I think when people look at me, they find out what my profession is that I've got a shaved head and, you know, that I, I'm mega into combat sports, um, you know, bare knuckle boxing being something I'm heavily into um, and probably think, you, you know, like you said, that I'm, I'm real, a real macho man and yet, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm just normal. It's just the, the sports that I like, you know. Um, I'm a sort of quite a placid, easygoing person whose wife tells him what to do uh, when she wants it done and, you know, and like this, it always drums back to the, you know, if, if I'm happy to ask for help or if I'm willing to you know, give help to somebody else, I don't know why people get so caught up with not wanting to be macho because it, do- it doesn't help anybody. Did you ever struggle with that though? Well, with, with my own uh, mental health, you mean? Well, I mean, yeah, like, obviously, I'm, I'm going to assume that you probably have, and that's why you're so open with it. But I feel like, did you ever struggle with, like, kind of, like, that ego part of, like, maybe I can deal with this on my own, I don't need to ask for help kind of thing? Yeah, I think a couple of my early, couple of my early, um, especially my first tour, I think that was, my first tour was uh, unique in the fact that I went to places in really small numbers and, it was ropey. Ropey is a, a term we use in the, in the UK for if something was you know dicey or you know dangerous. We we say ropey. Dodgy, uh, yeah. Yeah. So we had I had some real ropey times. Uh, you know, firefights and you know a, a lot of different stuff happened. And to be honest, I probably didn't deal with it properly. I probably didn't deal with it well. Um, not that I wouldn't say I've struggled myself with mental health what I struggled with was how to how to separate it and put it behind me not forget about it but to you know to empty that bottle out you know so I, I use that all the time because it's the easy way for my brain to work it out is that stress bottle's filling up I need to you know have a little blowout or you know go and do do whatever you know I need to go away on holiday I need to you know, have a weekend off and go punch and someone in the face, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Back when I was younger and a little, a little bit less heavy. Yeah, I love that, man. Yeah, because 
I feel like that and, and your analogy with the bottle, I love that. I think I might start adopting that as well because yeah, yeah. I, I used to use like a like a kettle. Like that was my analogy. Like it's like a kettle boiling over that has too much water. Like the pressure's gotta go somewhere, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's hard. I think, you know, I'm happy to speak to anybody about mental health. I, I'm not, I, I hate, and this is someone real close to me who, who did struggle with PTSD. His version of me, so his sergeant major said to him, you know, bullshit, you know, get on with it, stop acting like a bitch. And yeah, yeah I'd, I'd hate someone to feel like that, you know, I wouldn't help them um because i'd make every allowance to to help them whether that be just to have a cup of tea and and to chat or whether that be to signpost them to someone with a you know much better understanding and experience dealing with mental health then you know i would do that whether it be time off whether it be you know anything at all uh, you know i'd be always be there to help people out can you tell like can you like kind of see the difference in people like can you tell when there's something up or no, it's hard because you know people will deal with all different types of stress, and I think that that's the main problem with picking up someone with PTSD. They say, "Oh, they might be drinking more heavily, or they might be more argumentative, or they might be doing this," but actually, they might be doing all of those other things because they're arguing with their wife at home, or you know, their one of their parents has passed away, or they've argued with their brother, or they've been passed over for promotion at work, and it's it's the same symptoms regardless of what the stress is yeah and but it's like either way you have to deal with that right because you can't have like especially you know like i said i've managed gyms i work in construction sites now and it's like when you have someone that's you know not with the healthiest coping mechanisms like they almost they they well not almost they become a liability at work like it's like yeah. they're gonna either cost you money or put someone at risk and it's like, I could only imagine in the military, that's even more, like you said, exasperated, like that's amplified, right? Yeah, it can be. Yeah. I mean, you know, some of the more extreme ways of dealing with it, like drinking really heavily. You know, I've had a friend of mine drink himself to death, you know, in while he was still in the military. Uh, I've had another one, you know, who only was alive for another six months after leaving the military for drinking himself to death. Um, but that's easy to pick up the little the little micro um symptoms are not as easy to pick up but they're all going to lead to the same place which is you know someone boiling over and, and someone you know potentially doing something doing something that you know nobody wants them to do now because especially like you know this you always hear like the phrase you can take a horse to water type of thing like there's no like in your opinion, do you think that there's a way you can kind of, you know, coerce someone to like, once you start to see the signs, you're like, okay, this guy's, you know, boozing every single night and he's yelling at people that he wouldn't have yelled at before, like the telltale signs that someone's dealing with shit, right? Like, do you think that there's a way that you can kind of not force them into it, but kind of coerce them into it? Or is it kind of like the, you can bring the horse to water, but can't make them drink thing? I do. I think sometimes they people don't realize the amount of help that's available um or the stress was exacerbated by the fact that they didn't want to tell anyone and it's almost like it's a release once somebody finds out uh, and i think that you know, 
they, they say, don't they, you know, a problem halved is a, a problem shared is a problem halved. Um, you know, and, and I think that somebody else knowing that you're struggling, somebody else knowing that you're going through a hard time could be just that little step off the gas that, that they need or somebody else telling them to go and get help is, is more, uh, more sort of meaningful in their, in their mind than them going themselves because then they've got their, oh, I've been told to come here and then they may get, you know, that, that stress off them if they go to the, the medical center, the doctor, you know, whatever. Um, but they wanted that excuse that, that, um, somebody else telling them to do it, to make it okay. Yeah. It's like, man, I've seen it so many times as well. Like, again, I, I can't tell you how it is over where you are, but I know in Vancouver, like we're getting plagued here by fentanyl, like substance abuse. And there's been a lot of my friends that have been impacted by this. And like I said, like, you know, I've seen bodies drop, but I've also seen the type of people where they can kind of clean up their lives altogether. They don't touch liquor anymore. And, you know, they're climbing the ladder at work, like their lives are improving so much. And, you know, I've had these types of conversations with them as well, where it's like, you know, we've got buddies where you kind of talk to them and you're like, man, like something's fucked in your life, man. Like you've got to fucking pick it up and they'll kind of respond back in anger or defensiveness. But then there's certain people where you bring it up and they're like, yeah, bro, I fucking know. Like, yeah, you know, thanks for asking. And, and then that's kind of the stepping stone. Like, is that the same in the military with this kind of stuff? Yeah, I think so. When I first joined, it was, you know, there was a huge drinking culture and there still is a big drinking culture in the military. You know, I don't think that's ever going to go anywhere, but you then, it, you see with some people, they start to then creep that in to Thursday nights and then sneak it into lunch times and sneak it in right the way forward till Monday morning. And then it starts becoming an issue when they're, they're not fit to drive the next day or they're not fit to, you know, fit to go and do the fitness test the next day or whatever. Um, but there's still that whole, you know, crew of people that ran their fastest fitness test the de the morning after being out drinking all night. Uh, and, you know, it's real match and it's funny and, uh, and everyone laughs when they hear the story about, you know, guy coming in with his trousers on backwards and you know because it because the drinking culture was there it was way more first off acceptable but second off hard to tell if someone was using it as as a coping mechanism um because you know like i said everybody was drinking all the time from thursday through to sunday everyone was you know everyone was drinking and like you've kind of climbed the ladder obviously and so like at entry level you've seen this stuff so like kind of once you're at the top and you see the people that are entry level doing it like it's like oh yeah i remember back in those days right like it's like kind of like even the superiors are kind of like well yeah that's just what we did yeah yeah i think to an extent yeah i it's hard now because like I, when I, you know, sometimes I do duties and part of the, part of your duty is to walk around and make sure that, you know, the mess has been closed at a certain time or there's no block parties happening in the junior ranks accommodation and stuff. Uh, part of you just wants to let them crack on and just, you know, blow out because no one ever came into our accommodation and stopped us drinking and we were all fine. 
Um, but I guess we now know the problems that can happen later on and maybe they don't. But yeah, it's, it's a hard, it, you know, the, that fork in the road of, you know, going in and stopping them or letting them crack on is kind of becomes like a moral, a moral issue. And, you know, do, do you actually go and stop them or do you just be by the book and go in and put a stop to it? Because that's what the orders say. Yeah. And it's also like, I was going to say, like, I'm, a, I'm kind of all over the place right now as well, but I was going to say like, there almost is that fine line as well with mental health, where it's like, kind of like, you know, we don't want to put everything on halt for every little single problem, but as well, we always know that it's the little single problems that build up for certain people. Like it's not always one big event where it's like kind of, and, and like, um, you know, there's a fine line between like kind of like stifling all of your problems and your emotions. And it's kind of also like oversharing and kind of amplifying your problems as well. Like, do you kind of know what I'm saying? Am I explaining this well? Yeah, quite, kind of the, you know, again, it's like there kind of always is there, 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 there is kind of those times where it is appropriate to quote unquote man up. Like, it's like, we're in the middle of something like this isn't really the appropriate time to deal with this maybe yeah yeah and that that's the hard thing with the military specifically and it goes right back to our first you know first bit of our conversation when we said yeah the job of the army is to close with and kill the enemy now there isn't time then to put things on hold to make sure everyone's feeling okay there there isn't time when you're on a patrol in Af in afghanistan iraq in wherever whatever country you're in you're on a patrol and there's a chance of, you know, of bullets start flying. That's not the time to speak about, you know, some issues. The The line is when, is, when is the time? You know, do we almost do a mini uh, sort of post-op uh, check every single time you come back in? Do you not take somebody out because they're feeling down that day and operate a man down and and you know, then increase the risk for everyone else. It's, it's hard to manage. Uh, it's almost impossible to manage. And I don't think anyone's ever going to have the, the right answer because let's say your task is to go out, you know, a section, go out, which is eight people uh, and do a patrol around a compound. If someone's not feeling it that day because, you know, they're feeling depressed, well, what what's, you know, you, you it's, it's like scales, isn't it? Do you operate with seven people and not have enough people or do you risk taking out this person that is not going to be on their on their a game because they're struggling with something else and i suppose that's why that's the difference between management and leadership knowing knowing the difference because you're not just managing people you, you've got to lead those other those other people out as well and so that i guess you kind of answered my question i was going to say like how do you deal with that because like you personally, you're in that leadership role. Like, how do you kind of deal with that? Because sometimes there is that telltale sign of, you know, this guy's not operating, at, you know, he's not firing on all pistons. Like, Yeah, I mean, I've, I've had situations where I can see something's up and I've sent people home, you know, at 10 o'clock in the morning because I, I, I can just, I just know there's something wrong. And it tends to be, I'll just say, you know, is something up? They'll say yes or no. And then if they say yes and they're happy to give me the information, I'll try and deal with it. If they say no, but I can still tell there's something wrong, I'll make every allowance to just, you know, send them home or, or you know, at least 
cut the workload down a little bit. Um, but that that's all that's individual. That's individual management and leadership, and it's not the sort of nobody teaches you. They try and teach you how to be a good manager or how to be a good leader, but they no one can teach you empathy um and you know how to read someone sometimes you you just know and you can't explain why you know you just know that someone's not right and the longer you spend with someone the, the more you get to know them um and also other people who are doing you know dealing with that exact same issue they won't want to be sent home they won't they won't want to get sent home at 10 o'clock because the stress is at home you, you know so they'd rather be at work yeah. Or like the other thing is, is like people sometimes deal with things differently. Like, I, you know, I've had this conversation with my girlfriend where it's like, you know, sometimes when I'm in, when I'm stressed or when I'm pissed off, like, you know, certain people want to talk about their problems, but I'm the type of person where it's like, I just want to do work. Like, I just want to kind of, you know, that's how I kind of feel like, like you said earlier about your time in the military, like, that's how I add value. That's what makes me feel more confident, makes me feel better about myself. It adds to like, you know, when I can go out and do work, like I'm sure there's tons of guys like that in the military where they're like, no, I'm stressed out. So I want to work. Yeah. I want to, I want to do some menial tasks where I don't have to think and I just go and do something and achieve something by the end of the day. Yeah. And I can, yeah, like you said, like I can look back at my day and like, I didn't just sit at home and quote unquote rest all day. Like I went out and did something that added value. Like that's kind of, and I think as men, a lot of the times, like that is kind of how we process our emotions. That's why we work out. That's why, you know, we do some of the things that we do as men, like, you know, that's kind of how I, I process my thoughts is while I'm doing things like while my hands are busy, my mind can rest. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. The, yeah. There's loads of opportunities where I work to be able to do that as well. And then not, it's almost the rewards are twofold. The first one being, you know, you've just, you've just occupied your time and your thoughts for the day. But secondly, you've achieved something by the end of the day and it gives you something to look back on and go, Oh, actually, maybe I'm not that stressed. Look what I've just achieved, you know? Yeah. We're just like, cause again, like there's, you know, jobs in construction where, sometimes you're, you know, slowly, like your pace is a lot slower and you're more focused on certain things. And then there's other times where you're just having to do manual labor, like you were saying. And I find like the days that I'm just doing manual labor, it's like, literally, that's my time where I think the best sometimes, like I have these crazy ideas where it's like, Hey, I never thought of this thing from that perspective before. Like, it's just like, almost like, like almost like like you know maybe washing your truck or washing your car or like mowing your lawn kind of thing like the menial tasks like you're saying like that's sometimes when I process my thoughts the best yeah yeah I've had exactly the same situation you know I've had great ideas come to me when I'm out cutting the grass you know I've had great ideas when I'm putting sand between the gaps of the patio stones you know just you know, weird little jobs that need doing and they're real time consuming so you, your mind's allowed to wander a little bit, but you're still concentrating on the task at hand. So it, it sort of, it probably lets your brain process things in a way that it doesn't normally do. I, I don't do well just sat there. You know, I, I can't put time aside to just come up with plans. That doesn't, that doesn't work for me. I tend to go and do something else and a plan will come to me. 
Is there opportunity for jobs like that in the military where you're like kind of maybe on tour and you're like, dude, this guy's dealing with some shit, but I know if I leave him alone, like something dangerous could happen. Like we can kind of give him this task to go and do so he can just fucking just sort shit out in his head for a bit. Yeah, there's always like digging needs doing. It used to be, uh, it used to be filling sandbags. That was when when I first joined. You could go and fill sandbags, and that was the that was the menial task. And there was always more sandbags needed filling because they'd always get sort of fragged up and lose all their sand. So it'd be like, yeah, replace the sandbags. Like Chris is off today. Go and fill some fucking sandbags, buddy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, or, or the burn pit. You know, the burn pit would be another one. Just collect all the rubbish and go and burn it. Yeah, I love that, man. That's such a funny thing. I heard in Sweden, that's how they deal with just their garbage. They just burn it and use it for energy. Probably, yeah. They're pretty swept up over in in all the Nordic countries, to be fair. That's sick, man. Well, dude, I've kind of like kind of I picked your brain a lot. I can't really think of much else to ask you. But again, like I wanted to before I let you go, I want to say thank you so much for a everything you've done in your career, keeping us safe. Cause like I said, like, obviously you're half a world away from me right now, but they are allied forces and through NATO indirectly. And you have worked with the Canadian military as well. So I want to say thank you as well, because you've kind of let me live the privileged life that I have, but also thank you for your time. But before I let you go, I wanted to ask you like, kind of, you know, like I said, if there are people out there that, you know, maybe they're in the military or maybe they're not, maybe they're just civilians like me, and they're kind of suffering alone or they feel like kind of isolated, like what, what would you kind of say to that person? Like in terms of, you know, what their mentality could be like or how they could shift that. So I suppose what, what I would say would be first off, understand that anybody can suffer. Anybody can suffer with any type of mental health, whether it be depression, whether it be anxiety, whether it be PTSD, the list the list goes on. Anybody can suffer with it. It doesn't matter how macho you are, manly you are, what job you do, how big you are, you know, anybody can suffer. If you've got a support network, use it. Uh, and my main thing that I that I would say and suggest and I tell everybody this nobody's out to get you and no one will think worse of you if you let them know that you've got a problem and you know i I just hope that before anybody does anything silly you know goes for a walk that they're they're planning on not coming back from getting in their car for their final ever ever drive there's always somebody that you could reach out to you know and please reach out to those people before you do something there you know, where people may miss you. Awesome, man. Like I said, thank you so much for being on the show. I really do appreciate it. And I hope that you're willing to come back as well, because I really enjoyed this. And I've got, uh, I'm sure that you and I could talk for hours on end, man. Yeah, no, thanks for having me on. It's, it's been- Tell me I didn't just lose you. Well, I think I just lost Chris. So if you're still listening at this point, thank you so much for listening to this. I'll link his Instagram and, and everything else. You can go and check out his page in the show notes. If you listen to the podcast version of this, if you listen to the, or I mean, if you listen to the YouTube version, you'll see it in the description below, but I'm going to, I'm going to reconnect with them right now and just thank him one more time. But uh, if you know anybody that needs to hear this type of message, please do share this with them because I know there's a lot of valuable information that Chris and I got to talk about today. 
So like I said, if you know anybody that needs to hear this message, or if you found a new perspective through it, or you found an uplifting message through it, then please do share this show with someone as well. Other than that, thank you so much. I love you. If you listen to this, you are the reason I do what I do. Much love and peace out.